Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, building a big picture vision for government IT, incentivizing agile development no matter how you do your project, and the acquisition marketplace of the future at GSA. It's Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Office of the National Cyber Director has a new Assistant Director for Technology Security. And Jana Rajan will join the office from a position as Entrepreneur-in-Residence at Cornell Tech. She's a veteran of Palantir and Johnson & Johnson. The Defense Innovation Unit will add four companies to the roster of companies supporting its hybrid space architecture program. The program is DIU's attempt to build a secure internet capability in space. Senior engineer and technical program manager for DIU's space portfolio, Rogan Shimon, tells Defense Scoop more companies could join the program too. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. On Friday's Daily Scoop podcast, you heard five former leaders in federal government IT discuss the past, present, and future of technology in government. The lineup included Margie Graves, Suzette Kent, Essie Miller, Renee Wynn, and Maria Rote. Maria is former Deputy Chief Information Officer of the United States at Act IAX ELC 2022. I asked her whose idea it was to start ELC with that all-star lineup. The planning committee, um, they kind of said hey, what if? Mm -hmm. And they started down this little road. And then next thing you know, we all got an email and said, hey, are you available for the plenary um, on this date? Are you going to be there? And we all said yes. And so they came back and said, here's what we want to do. You know, the the five of us talk all the time, you know, since we've retired, uh, we share information, we talk with each other every couple of months. We do, like Suzette said, we do get on Zoom calls Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, share a glass of wine or our favorite beverage and and talk, you know, not just, you know, family stuff, but we talk about business and Mm -hmm. how things are going and we share ideas. And and so... uh, you know, over we just we communicate and we talk, and and I think we just carried that to the stage last night. It speaks to what I love about this community, and that is that you, none of you are still in government, but you still care about what's going on. Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's since I retired, you know, that's one of the things that I that I truly miss about being, you know, as a federal employee is that camaraderie, right? The CIO council, the CISO council, and not just that all of the federal employees, all the, the workforce and just that continuing work. I miss that sense of camaraderie, but yet that's carried into my retirement mm-hmm. because of Essie and Suzette and Renee and Margie and everybody else that I could name. Um, that's that's just carried right on into retirement. So that camaraderie is, uh, I think it's important when you want to stay connected and, and to keep that. What does that look like for you a year from now or a couple of years from now? You're kind of doing your own thing you're you're have some uh, clients that you're consulting and stuff like that what does that continued involvement look like though in a way that makes you happy and keeps you engaged in what's going on you know about five minutes before i came up here i actually you know i was stopped like six times walking up here and actually i talked to a a woman who's over at nara and she's thinking about retiring next year and she saw our us talking last night and she was asking a little bit about how we're sharing and i said look when you are ready to retire, give any of us a call. 
shoot us a note and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. That's what we do. We're open and we share. And and like I said, five minutes ago, just right before I came up here, um, somebody was talking about it. And I think, I think that extension is really important to maintain that continuity of of women helping women, mm-hmm. um, helping each other. Well, what's the next step? Because sometimes it's very scary, right? I'm coming out of 40 years of military and federal government. Okay, what am I going to do? And a lot of people do that same thing coming out of the federal government. Oh my gosh, it's going to be a big, scary world. I want to do some work, but I don't know if I want to work full time. How do I make those decisions? But having that sounding board and somebody to talk to that's been through those steps. It wasn't lost on the room that there were five, and Karen Evans couldn't be here. She, right. she that, that was unfortunate. Yeah, she would have been the sixth, wasn't able to be here, and we missed her. Um, but it wasn't lost on that audience. Here are five very important, very powerful IT executives, very accomplished, distinguished careers, all just happen to be women. Yeah, think about that. I mean, yeah. I've, I've gotten that comment. I'm sure Essie's gotten that comment since yesterday, that from some of the, the younger women that are in the room, um, I think they see that as a, a possibility and a potential that says, I can do that mm-hmm. one day. And I think that's I think that's important because, you know, we just didn't show up one day and poof, we got this job. We've been working at it for years and mm-hmm. it's taken a long time and we've all had different paths and journeys. And and I think that's important to share that because some of the young women like I've I've talked to over the last couple since last night and during the day to day, they were um they're like, wow, you know, uh, this is something new. We mm-hmm. want to learn from you and and take something away from it. So I, I think that's really powerful. Well, and you all did it at a time where you wouldn't have come to an event like this early in your career, and there right. would have been five women on the stage. Right. That would have been all dudes. That would have never happened. Right. It, was a, it would have been a whole bunch of white men up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That's, that's really right. what it would have been. That's right. Um, why is that? You said that's important. I agree with you, but why do you think that's important? Um to have the role models up yeah. there, to be a role model, um, all of us, including Karen, we have been mentors for years. We have been mentoring men and women mm-hmm. for years, you know, regardless of what our positions are. As we moved up through the ranks, there's always somebody behind you to fill your shoes, right? That's not lost on anybody. But how do you teach people that? And that mentoring is something that that we're just, that's why it's important. You need to carry that mentoring. You need to carry that through because as they move up, they're going to do the same. So you're instilling that sense. You're mentoring somebody, and they're going to turn around and mentor somebody else and help coach and help bring people along and tell them, yeah, don't do that, do this, or how to find your way. That's 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 the important part, I think, of this. You talked on stage last night about being a builder, and I have observed that in the time that I've known you. What uh, advice do you give to somebody that's trying to build something now and maybe is not? encountering the kind of cooperation that one would like to have. Because <laughs> I know you've, you've been in a couple you of You know what? I've, I've been in the construction business and technology. <laughs> it seems like every job has been, you know, I got to go build a thing, you know, from FedRAMP and SBA and, and just everywhere I've been. I, that's where I, the light bulb went on some time ago that said, you know, you're, somebody asked me one time. That's how I, I came up with the construction. Somebody asked me one time. Yeah. In non-technical terms, I would, at a conference like this, describe yourself. And I went, uh, I'm in the construction business. I build stuff. <laughs> but but for people who've never done that before, you really have to embrace being creative. Think about the big picture. If you're in construction, you got to build this big house, right? you got to start with the foundation. You also have to have the foresight for 
understanding the plumbing, the electronics, where your wiring's going to go, how the walls are going to go, where the all of those things. So when you're in the construction, you have to have that vision and that big picture and understand what it's going to look like. You may not know how you're going to get there, but you understand the what and you understand the target. So as you're building, right, you you may put in the foundation and you say, you know what, I want to move the plumbing over here. Well, okay, that's great. You might have to do that. But yeah, being adaptable and being able to be creative and think about that, even as the big picture is, I'm going to build a house. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like when I'm done, but I know the basics that are required for the house. It's just the how might change over time when you get to the end. The wrinkle that you have in some of the roles that you've been in, though, is there are cases where not everybody shares your vision, to say the least, and sometimes there's active opposition to the way that you decide you want to build a house. Yeah, you know what, there's there's a couple of approaches. You know, one of them, you know, with my team, sometimes, you know, it's a little bit harsh, but get on my bus. If you don't want to be my bus and you don't want to be in a seat, go find your own bus. Mm -hmm. If you're going to stand in front of my bus, I'm going to run you over, right? Um, I mean, that's that's the harsh reality sometimes. But there's also the shared vision, right? Uh, at SBA, it wasn't about technology. It was about a 360 view of the customer. Think about having every touch point, right? 18 counseling programs. Think about 85% of the data is the same. And think about being able to track the life cycle of a small business. Having that shared vision, vision in non-technical terms um, I think, you know, for CIOs, you absolutely have to have that. And you have, and that's how you bring people along. It's not, you know, we're going to buy another widget and spend some money. It's that shared vision of, wouldn't it be cool if we had a 360 view of the customer? Wouldn't it be cool if we had full interagency collaboration? You can chat with anybody in the federal government. So thinking about the federal government as that, that enterprise, but you have to bring people along because for all of these things, I, there's not a project I've worked on, FedRAM included, where there weren't the naysayers, right, mm -hmm. or the rack huggers, and people who just didn't want to get on the bus. But you have to convince them and, and, and explain the why. And it's not being directive that says, we're going to do a thing, but articulating the vision and saying why you're going to do it. And that was one of the things at SBA. I bought the book, Start With Why, mm -hmm. um, Simon Sinek. Um, for everybody in my office. And we talked about why we're doing what we do because we needed to make some huge changes. All right. Um, what, uh, what do you really want to do in the next, I don't know, pick a number, however many years to continue to help this market succeed, this community succeed in the way that you've helped it succeed for the last 40 couple? You know, uh, being in public service and continuing to give back, um, that's what I've always done. And over the next few years, if I can continue to do that in my current capacity, absolutely, I will do that. Maria wrote at ELC 2022, you can listen to the conversation with all five federal leaders that Maria and I talked about in the archives at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. The number one CRM, Salesforce Customer 360 for Public Sector, is an integrated platform for public services. It features relationship management, case management, and lots more. To learn more, go to salesforce.com slash government. That conversation among the former IT leaders in government started with a focus on the 20th anniversary of the eGov Act. One of the architects of that legislation was Bill McVeigh. He's chief growth officer at Logical Technology and Research 
and former senior policy analyst at the Office of Management and Budget. At ELC 2022, I asked him about the formulation of the eGov Act and why it still works today when technology has changed so much. I think, you know, we always had the Paperwork Reduction Act, Mm -hmm. and there was always IRM plans. And so dating myself back to GSA in the Office of the CIO after it had shifted from IRM to Office of the CIO, I automated the IRM strategic planning for GSA, which had never been done. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're pulling together all of these projects and programs and dollars and all of that kind of stuff. And I literally just created it in Q&A for Windows and trained all the GSA people on what we were doing. And our team stood up the first documented capital planning and investment control process after Clinger Cohen passed. So I was there um, as we shifted from information resource management to the Clinger Cohen Act. And then, of course, there was lots of things that were happening under the IRM programs that kind of got paused while we were trying to figure out, okay, moving from the Brooks Act to the Clinger Cohen Act and looking at IT as investments, it was a um, phenomenal opportunity to learn, but also build on some of the things that had already been happening in terms of like the Paperwork Reduction Act and other things. So it was a progress, you know, Mm -hmm. it was progression. Yeah. Having seen all of those things, you mentioned a number of the landmark pieces of legislation regarding federal IT. Mm-hmm. You rank Fatara up there with that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I rank that with um, the next step, along with the 2015 update of OMBA 130. Um, I got to participate in the version just before that, and the whole section on capital planning and investment control and um, that kind of stuff. So watching as we moved items because of um, conversations and questions we were trying to answer around information technology, um, a good bit of the business cases and the federal enterprise architecture and project and program management got moved additionally to A11. So there was then this really true direct planning and budgeting as opposed to just reporting a couple of months after you'd already done it what you did that was you think it um so it put rigor in that had never been in place before what do you see in the next maybe five to ten years as the evolution of the role that omb plays in both the financial management and it spheres i know what i would like to see okay Um, I definitely believe, you know, there's always been like a way to score what agencies submitted to OMB. And then, of course, GAO would come in and audit. Did you do the things you were supposed to do? I think taking a step back for just a little bit and figuring out what's incentivized, because I truly believe people are going to do what's incentivized. Well, there's no extra points for innovation. There's no extra points for risk-taking. There's prototype and piloting that's allowed in the Klinger-Cohen Act and other legislation that almost nobody does. It's like, do the prototype or pilot, ask for that, set up innovation funds in the office of the CIOs where you can, and allow the projects to fail fast. Mm -hmm. Do the prototype or pilot for a small group, figure out what you figure out, 
And then the successful pieces roll out to a broader audience. And you then um, award agencies and programs for being innovative, for taking risk, and for things that are sea changes to the way we do business, mm-hmm. um, providing services to the citizen. What are the workable incentives, though, to make that happen, especially in an environment where Capitol Hill's probably not going to be as excited about incentivizing something that didn't work, even though it was tried mm-hmm. and potentially, you know, an innovation or, or mm-hmm. taking of a risk mm-hmm. than an agency might be? I think there are definitely ways to look at investments in systems that are operation and maintenance you invest in the development modernization and enhancement funding and everybody who's ever done a real project knows that you don't just turn off and then suddenly you're on the new thing so understanding that your O&M cost should go down significantly as you're ramping up on the DM&E side. So the savings, if you've actually documented what the potential savings are and measure it, give them permission to reinvest. And the IT driver of that is that's what you're describing is only possible in an agile environment, right? You can't really do that in a waterfall environment because you got to roll the whole thing out. You can't iterate. In that environment, I don't. Well, maybe I'm not reading it right. You could do iterative, um, which you know, if you look at the agencies, some are doing waterfall, iterative, agile. Some of them are a mix of all three. It's according to what the maybe program I'm using is. the terminology wrong because I'm imagining the iterative iterative approach as agile. So if those are two different things, then yes, both of those two things, it seems to me, are requirements to to do the kind of incentivization that you just described. Well, I don't think it's um, a yes or no answer. Okay. Um, program by program. You can certainly do agile and sprints and those kind of things in a waterfall, what we would think of as a waterfall kind of method if you chunk it. Mm-hmm. If you prototype or pilot and do it that way, as opposed to um, as Lauren Ewer, who was with us at OMB um, years ago, used to say, like trying to cram the Tootsie Roll in your mouth all at one time, as opposed to chunking it. Um, I think the chunking and giving permission, giving permission for the chunking. So you could have some that's the old system. Yep. You have some that is moved into the new model mm-hmm. and you manage the life cycle as these things on the O&M side go away after the um, development modernization enhancement piece or the modernization piece has occurred. So you would look at it not as a single thing, but as a life cycle. I'm going to write that down as iterative waterfall well, I is mean, what I'm going to call that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I think Agile is amazingly um, helpful and useful. But I think, you know, having been a Fed, um, growing up at GSA, well, before that, I actually was Army. Then I was private industry. And then I moved to GSA, then to OMB, then back to private industry. Um, I took a training years ago that talked about our life is our curriculum. 
So I can look back to what I was doing in the military, automating processes to relocate people and automating all of our business processes in the military district of Washington, and then move to um, private industry and was supporting that kind of effort to uh, federal agencies, and then moving to GSA and being one of those people, then moving to OMB and being responsible in terms of oversight for what the departments and agencies were doing in terms of compliance and that kind of stuff. It, my life has absolutely been a curriculum mm -hmm. for um, the next thing that's supposed to happen. And I think the EGOV Act and FATARA and all of those, FATARA would not have been possible as a success without the basis of the EGOV Act, Klinger-Cohen, and the Paperwork Reduction Act. Bill McVeigh at ELC 2022. You can read more about all the topics Bill and I hit in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Salesforce is the connected platform that powers government health services. Salesforce helps public entities engage with their health constituents on a single intelligent platform to improve care outcomes from anywhere. Learn more at sfdc.co slash psh. The General Services Administration says it's building the marketplace of the future. The commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA, Sonny Hashmi, talked about it on the main stage at ELC 2022. You heard that on last Thursday's Daily Scoop podcast. After his keynote interview, I asked him what the marketplace of the future looks like to him. To me, the marketplace of the future is a data-driven environment. Uh, historically, you know, we, we are so fortunate to work with some of the best providers, companies uh, in the world. As I mentioned, we work with tens of thousands of companies uh, that, 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 that play a critical part in helping the government achieve its mission. As we move forward, we need to continue to engage with that community in, in a, da a data-driven way. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that we have clear and deep line of sight into all the products and services we're, we're purchasing. We want to make sure we understand the carbon impact and the sustainability aspect of that. We want to make sure that our, we understand the, our, our suppliers' carbon or uh, climate resiliency plans. We want to make sure that we understand the cybersecurity aspects of the supply chain. All of those things are data challenges. And so as we create that marketplace, we go back to first principles. We want to create a marketplace that has access and equity in it. We want to make sure that small businesses can thrive and have opportunities and, and run ramps and pathways. We want to make sure that that marketplace provides secure products and solutions that our government uh, partners can rely on. We want to make sure that that marketplace is designed in a way that lowers the carbon footprint and the climate impact of the work that we do. All those important aspects have to be balanced. And so, yes, uh, value and price is always going to be important because we that's that's a core mission of FAS, but as you move forward, all these other things become increasingly important too. Mm -hmm. And so if we approach that from a data-driven manner that allows us insights, where we understand where we can uh, make an impact, where we can work with our supplier partners better uh, to improve these all of these aspects, we, uh, we are excited to build that, uh, that next generation of marketplace. What pieces of that do you think you have in place now, and what pieces of that do you still need to build? So one of the major pieces that we're working on, which many of you know about, is a, is a common catalog platform. That is a, uh, an initiative that's a long time in the making. We're very excited that we're actually in beta now, and we're starting to kind of roll that out to across FAS and then across certain uh, communities. In FY23, 
you will see that platform replace some of the old ways that we engage with the marketplace. So as we as we think about like old tools like SIP and Core, where there was a lot of kind of disjointed data and spreadsheets being uploaded, everything is going to be in the cloud and everything's going to be automated now. Mm -hmm. So the core reason why that platform is important is that once that data comes into Common Catalog, we have full line of sight into that data. We can run aggression testing. We can do analysis. We can then 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 make that data available to our partners and uh, use it for internal uh, analysis. So that is a core part of, part of it. Other projects that are underway that we are working on are working with a lot of third-party data suppliers and CISA and the intelligence community to get intelligence back and then applying the right anal analysis of intelligence to identify risks. That is something that's been going on for a couple of years and every quarter we're using that data to make smarter decisions. Just this quarter alone, we're poised to identify another 350,000 products in our marketplace that we're going to be removing because we, we're not comfortable with the, with the risk posture of those products. Mm -hmm. So these are all examples on how the efforts that have been underway for many months and years are now coming to fruition. We're seeing uh, better compliance posture, we're seeing lower risk uh, posture, and we're starting to see uh, you know, uh, new ways for us to engage with the, with the partner community, especially with small businesses. So a lot of the work that's gone into, for example, designing Polaris, um, a lot of that has been based on analysis that we have never had access to before. That analysis has allowed us to understand how we structure it, where the marketplace looks like, where the vendors, what their, 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 their uh, problem sets are, and we're designing for those solutions based on that analysis. So. Um, in, in, in summary and in short, uh, the, uh, the initiatives that are underway uh, will, will, will help us like, dramatically improve our, our, our capacity in this space. What are you doing, step back from that, what are you doing to make sure that the data that's feeding all of this work is clean and, and actionable? That's always going to be an ongoing uh, responsibility and challenge. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, internal metrics and instrumentation. So as we look at data that's coming in through the event, uh, the supplier portals and uh, VPP, for example, and we actually run through analyses where we match up that data through other data sources, and we actually use that that that, that approach to identify the cleanliness and completeness of that data. So from that uh, through that process, for example, recently we've been able to continuously monitor, for example, data that we're getting through the TDR program. And now we can do a perfect match of that data coming in through other sources, and we're up into the into the high 80 percentage marks, right? So these are things that we take not only seriously, but we actually have dashboards that we track on a regular basis that allow us to continue to make sure that data is complete, it's accurate, because if you're going to make use that data, whether it's pricing data or uh, risk data, et cetera, to make decisions. We want to make sure that we're, 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 we're doing it in a smart way. You used another term on stage that I liked. You want to make it dead easy to do business with FAST. How far along do you think you are in that continuum? Yeah, that's a great question. This is something that, that, uh, that I'm particularly excited about. Um, we've taken the first steps towards a continuum. A lot more remains, right? So Bayer.gsa got, got a great example of how we're rethinking how interactions between GSA, our customers, and our suppliers should work. That is just a, the initial platform that's been released. It's going to continue to be built upon. We Every every quarter, we have a backlog. We're doing all human-centered design work. We want to make sure that we're actually solving for the problems. Like So our customers are asking for new tools that allow them to do better market research and do you know access prior PWSs and you know do better requirements development. All those capabilities are being developed. We have to invest in our back-end uh, migrations and upgrades, though. That is, a, that is the next tranche of big initiatives. That, so we, I mentioned Catalog Platform. I'm also going to mention the COM program that's going on. I'm, I'm going to mention new, new, uh, new uh, pricing tools that we're building. 
all of those are may not be visible to the external users, but all of them are going to take burden away from our contracting officers. That's ultimately going to free them up to do better, provide better service to, to our partners. And so, when I when I talk about making it dead easy, it's not just putting a new website on top of an existing broken process. It's about going deep, understanding where processes have to be changed, the reasons why we did mass consolidation, the reasons why we're uh, thinking about a different way of uh, organizing, um, uh, you know, our uh, 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 GWAC. Or, or uh, these are all driven by the desire to make it easier, both for our customers and our suppliers to do business with us. So look at more, not just uh, new things coming in the technology and automation and website space, but also a lot of back-end processes are going to be much more streamlined and therefore hopefully lead to better experiences all across the board. So the buzz when you first took the job was, he's not an acquisition guy, he's a CIO. And when you describe what you just described, my takeaway is that's business process transformation, Absolutely. not digitization. And that, I imagine, gives you a tremendous leg up with the technology background to understand what it should look like to the customer. I mean, like first of all, I'm very fortunate because it's such a fantastic team. I have folks who are deeply embedded in process automation, process design. I have Six Sigma green belts and black belts on our on our team. We have a fantastic opportunity to bring all this expertise together. My job is to make sure that we hire the best talent. We give them, a, you know, a, a amazing access and, and and authority to to make important decisions, and then to provide them with the uh, with the resources and top cover they need to go succeed. You're right. The acquisition, modern acquisition, is a data problem. It's not a paperwork problem. It's not a FAR. I have many, many experts who understand the FAR far better than I ever will. However, to scale these solutions require an understanding of data, automation, business process. That has to be the heart of how we improve the situation in a stop function way. Uh, we can incrementally and, and slightly continue to improve the process, but what we need is because of a shortage of talent, because of a difficulty and challenge around hiring and uh, retaining the best talent, we need to do dramatic improvements. And so we're not gonna do that through just a slight improvement to the form that we're filling out or paperwork that's flowing through. We have to rethink our processes. And that's where I do think that I can, I can bring some expertise and value. And uh, surrounded by an amazing team of experts, I'm uh, glad to report that we're doing, you know, uh, making great progress. You talked about some of the vehicles in Polaris in particular. There's a perception that Polaris is in, in uh, and these are words that I've seen in discussion groups online and so on, in trouble, off track, and so on. What's your perception of where Polaris is and how you get it to the finish line successfully? Absolutely. Like, it's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because my impression is uh, anything but. And like, listen, I'm not just saying this because uh, I'm commissioner for FAS. I think what's happening with Polaris is exactly the right thing to do. It's easy to get that you know pushed through and get to a certain deadline. However, my charge to the team has always been we got to solve the problem we're trying to set out to be solved. And the problem is creating new opportunities for small businesses. If you create a vehicle that actually doesn't increase opportunity access to the right types of small businesses, then we failed. And so industry feedback has been critically important along the way. When we first got feedback around you know, the challenges that many small businesses were facing around the, the way we were, um, you know, managing the JV uh, partnership. We took a step back, we fixed it, we changed the, the strategy. We're seeing some, some additional uh, concerns coming our way. We'll continue to do the right job. So if troubled means that we are uh, adjusting along the way, then I think it's the right thing to do, and I think we'll continue to do that. To me, I would rather get to the end in a way that adds tremendous value 
creates new opportunities for brand new small businesses and creates tremendous value to our customers rather than getting to an endpoint uh, you know at a certain time frame and then figuring out that we actually didn't create an impact you I didn't count but I think you used the word sustainability on stage today 942 times <laughs> why is that so important is it just because it's an administration priority or is there some benefit to the taxpayer, benefit to your customers, or something else that you're seeing in sustainability efforts across GSA and especially in FAST? So, uh, listen, uh, for all those reasons and many more, right? So sustainability is an area that is that is truly a triple win for GSA if you get it right, right? Because ultimately all of us are in the business of not only mission, like, so first of all, we need to outcome, you know, uh, support our customers' missions. Our customers rely on vendors who because of climate change and many other factors are now, um, you know, they have resiliency challenges. We've seen this just recently as, you know, hurricanes come through or wildfires on the West Coast that, you know, if you're relying on certain vendors and certain suppliers and their business is, is, is disrupted because of these challenges, then it literally affects the, our ability to execute our mission. So sustainability is not just a nice to have buzzword, it actually affects Focusing on that and actually finding solutions in climate, climate resiliency and long-term adaption is actually good for the tax. It's, 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 it's critical and vital for uh, the government to achieve its mission. But if you do it right, this is a moment in time where we can create millions of new jobs across the country and reduce costs for the taxpayer. So it should be the, like, there's a reason why we talk about it 900 times in, in every conversation is because this is a triple win. We have to get it right, and if you do, Everybody wins. Mm -hmm. uh, we got new companies starting. So just in the EV space alone, in this last year, we've added uh, over 50 new companies that have never done business with the federal government for the first time to come into our marketplace and provide solutions. These are American companies that are creating American jobs. If, if we just hosted a uh, EV uh, SE road show, road show a couple of weeks ago, and you should have been in the room. It was, it was amazing to see these companies that are innovating on the fly, creating these products, and they had these products working in a demo environment. And these are the products and infrastructure that's gonna be needed uh, to, to you know, win the next generation challenges across the country. So we're excited about the work we're doing, not just because, of course it's an administration priority, mm -hmm. of course it's important for many others, but it's also good for the country, it's good for the taxpayer, and ultimately it's, it, it, it's an opportunity for us to influence the next generation of industries that are gonna create the next generation of jobs across the country. I'm excited about this, and I think 10 years from now when we look back, this is going to be the pivotal moment when we uh, see the, the, the transition to uh, electric vehicles become a real thing, the transition to green products become a real thing, recyclability become important. All these big challenges that we see as we look forward, when we look back 10 years from now, we're going to see this as a moment when we got serious about this and we actually started doing the right things, continue to, like we've always been doing the right things in the space, but we're about to do uh, a step function increase in all, this, all these activities. How do you connect with those companies like those EV companies you just referred to, both before and after the government becomes their customers, to make sure that you're on the right track to making it dead easy for them to do business with the government? Absolutely. So, like, again, it requires a deeper partnership that we need to create. Listen, our companies and our suppliers are, are, are working through the same challenges that we're seeing. Uh, availability of chips, lack of resources, hard uh, you know, difficulties in hiring talent, they, they're facing the same challenges we are. 
So it's it's not just enough to say, you know, uh, you know, here's a form you need to fill out and you need to fill out these orders. We understand that these companies are facing similar challenges. So we need to deeply work with them. We're, for example, for some of the EV manufacturing uh, companies, we're working deep deeply with them, with the Department of Energy, with EPA, with other agencies in this space to solve for problems like rare earth metal mining, uh, solving for problems like battery recycling for electric vehicles. These are all important problems that GSA can't solve by ourselves. But if you can work with the industry and help them create, like we, we are very proud of the, of, 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 of all of our efforts and the overall efforts around the sustainability space across the administration, we have a brand new company that's starting in Georgia and it's creating a new battery plant. Batteries have never been like, there's been like, a, there's a huge gap in the American domestic market uh, manufacturing space for battery manufacturing. And now we're seeing a trend where new investments are going into this space and of course new jobs are being created. So when the government gets behind an initiative, it does have the ability to move markets. I know people don't realize this, but the reasons why the third taillight and, and cars that we drive every day and uh, seat, retractable seat belts are required now is because GSA many years ago made it a requirement that if you're gonna sell a vehicle to the government, they're gonna have these requirements. We can do the same thing in the area of zero emission vehicles. All right, final thought, and it's a personal question. What's your current bike project? <laughs> I'm just, I, I've got my eye on an Norton Commando, uh, which is gonna need a lot of love, and that's gonna be my next project. Sonny Hashmi, the commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service, GSA. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like The Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.